Any of you with kids ever lose a kid? Jackson seems to be the type that maybe in the future. Anybody lose a child at uh, an amusement park or a crowded location? Uh, last week I gave you some examples of our pets uh, being lost, but I was that kid who would wander. And so um, there's hope for, you know, kids like me and Jackson and others, right? So maybe Colby uh, and his brother were like this too. But um, I don't remember this, but my mom tells a story of being in uh, one of the malls there in Southern California where we lived. And um, out of my stroller, I escaped in the mall. Sometime later, she uh, saw and heard a lady lifting me up in the air yelling, whose kid is this? Thankfully, uh, maybe it was a safer day and age. Um, So then I'm strapped back in the stroller, and uh, in the same day, I escape again and wander the mall, and I'm lost. And my mom panics, of course, like a mom would, and I am found again. But this was known about me, and so um, also a story in the middle of the night. They said it was 2 in the morning. I would leave home and walk down, we were at the end of the cul-de-sac, but I'd walk to the, uh, the corner of our street, and uh, two in the morning, knock on the door and ask if my buddies Matt and Eric could play. And um, they had to redirect me home, so much so that my parents had to switch the lock on, because I would, I mean, I would take a chair up to the deadbolt, back in the day we had the deadbolt way up high um, to lock our uh, main uh, entry door. But then my parents would redo the locks on my bedroom And so they could lock it from the outside, and they would lock me in. That was me as a kid. So my parents were patient and still loved me and welcomed me back, even though I ran away a few times. Um, One time I even packed a bag. I had a suitcase ready, and I was determined to go uh, visit my uncles on the East Coast and leave home. And um, I, I didn't know what to do at the end of the street because I knew not to cross the street. And so I sat on the corner of our street with my suitcase packed, ready to go to New Jersey uh, to hang with my uncles on the East Coast. Uh, My sister, uh, I do remember this a little bit better, but we were at SeaWorld down in San Diego, and my sister uh, went missing from us. She escaped, and uh, I don't remember how long it was, but my parents would always have kind of, here's the plan if... Uh, you get lost. Like we have a central meeting location. Go back and, and SeaWorld has this big kind of sky tower that you can go up and then you can view the park from up in the air. And so that probably was our meeting location. But it took forever and hours later and my parents panicking, uh, especially my mom, uh, wanting to find Kristen and worried about her. What if someone took her? What if she was her? What if the questions you start processing, right? Uh, And so last week I gave you some examples, not just uh, of humans, but of items, pets, sunglasses, phones, things we lose, and we search diligently to find those things, right? Whether they're in your pocket or on your head or actually missing somewhere. Um, But this is Mochi. Some of you know Mochi if you're on social media. Mochi um, has some personality, has some quirks, plays fetch, if you believe cats play fetch. Uh, but a year ago, this April, I was down in Cheyenne at an EV-free uh, district conference. 
And uh, some background is one of the things we do with our cats, it's kind of odd but kind of cool, is they not only play fetch in Mochi's case, but they go on walks with us. We don't leash them, but they, they just love being around us. And so we'll walk, uh, yeah, the Mickey's driveway behind us is along our hayfield and back towards the river, and they'll just jaunt and enjoy the walks with us and all sorts of things. So while I was down in Cheyenne, Rachel took uh, the dogs at the time and the cats on a walk. And um, the Mickeys come uh, leaving their home down the driveway and stop to chat. And in the midst of stopping to chat, uh, Mochi vanishes. And she was just right in front of Rachel. And now she's nowhere. Like, I mean, she doesn't blend in with the field, right? So you could see her if she was around. And so did she hide? Did she get picked up by a hawk uh, or a honey badger or something? Uh, What happened to Mochi? And so I got a call or a text or whatever. Hey, went on a walk. We lost everybody's back, but we lost Mochi. I don't know where she is. We keep going out to look for every... Rachel was on shifts alone. Like, just keep going out and calling for Mochi, looking for Mochi, wandering, having friends come look. The Mickey's kids wandering uh, the fields and down by the riverbed for Mochi as well. And so Rachel was that mom panicking because... Mochi was missing. And um, uh, the conference was, was ending later that morning. And so I'm like, I just got to, you know, no time for Chick-fil-A. I just got to get home. And so I race home to help find Mochi. And this was like uh, a Monday or Tuesday uh, that Mochi went missing. And so I was home the next day. Uh, but then a few days went by. And Rachel and I, with the help of the Mickeys and other friends, are out searching for Mochi Every hour, it seems, calling for Mochi, bringing the dogs out, looking for, like, pictures, posting things about, hey, if you see our kitty, would you let us know because we miss our kitty. Uh, We thought she was dead. Three days later, at least three days, gone, no sign of her. And uh, that Thursday or Friday morning, I walk out to go feed the horses, and um, this who comes running out of our shop little mochi. And so I grab her and embrace her. I run her into the house and Rachel's going crazy and frantic and crying and all like homeward bound. Again, more homeward bound stories from our life. Um, but mochi's back. Four, three, four days later, we thought she was dead. We had no explanation um, except the possibility of wandering off after the scent of a boy and coming home with babies in her stomach. And that's what mochi did to us but we thought she was gone people were trying to comfort us like oh she she had a good life while she lived she was a kitten this was the first time she would have gone in the heat and that took her away uh right as that happens don't need to explain that so now we have uh she had five kittens right we kept one and some others are blessed by these kittens uh, but we were panicking because Mochi was gone. Thought dead. Lost. No hope. Like we just, life has restarted with, with one less cat, which wouldn't be a bad thing in our case. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but that's kind of the story that's going on here. And so a familiar story, we're going to be in the par- parable of the prodigal son. And um, really familiar Maybe one of the most famous, if not the most famous parable, uh, but maybe the most most loved parable. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens. 
see. I don't even have to read it. Right? Don't panic. Worse, worse things have happened. You're in the right text, though. Sorry. By the way, I shouldn't say this. Humans are getting replaced by robots, right? You've heard this? Right, so someday, someday you won't need anything. You just, right? Instead of people coming up and reading the Psalms, it's just automated, right? So there's a hospital in California in trouble because uh, they, gave, uh, they gave news to a patient who, uh, some kind of terminal illness where he had only a few days to live, and the news was delivered via a robot. And so uh, there's some interesting dynamics going on. And Rachel said, well, that's kind of the future of how things are going to be communicated anyways, even in the midst of hospitals where you want that bedside manner and personal touch and someone to care for you in the midst of. So all that to say. So thanks, Dave. Dave helped me remember that from uh, that hospital that I saw in the news. Um, but I want to remind you, oh, this is actually a cool, this is um, Rembrandt's painting called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And um, this parable is known as the parable of the prodigal son. But I think that's probably not the best title for that, this parable, because that emphasizes one character in the parable and it emphasizes the prodigal in the parable. And so if there was maybe a better name, um, I think of a dad and his two boys or a loving father and his two sons, right? There's three characters in the parable we're going to look at. The father, the younger son, and the older son. And I grew up thinking this parable was really about the younger son. And praise God that people can forsake him and yet be embraced when they return, when they figure out their ways uh, and their problems and the way that they've strayed and they come back and we embrace them. And that's certainly true in the text, but there's a whole lot more going on. Uh, Really, Jesus in this parable is speaking to older brothers, And so you could say the emphasis is on the older brother, not so much the younger brother. But really the big idea is on the father. The extent, the depth, um, the riches of his love, his grace, his forgiveness. But in the midst of seeing the depth of his love, first Jesus and Luke are going to show us really the depth of our sin and offenses against God. All of us, younger brother, older brother, all of us alike. And so a little bit. I like that painting because it kind of demonstrates the father's embrace to the son as he returns. But I want to remind you, Luke is in this context in chapter chapter 15, verse 1, where um, the text says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so the context here is Jesus is hanging out with the unsavory people of the day, tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. People marginalized, outcast, people despised, people who even would, by their occupation, by, their, uh, by who they are, their background, would be viewed as those less likely to be interested in God. Those who have God at a distant distance. And yet what happens when Jesus comes along? They gather around him. They draw near to Jesus. How beautiful that is. That they have nothing. They want, they're not interested in God because look at the people representing God. I want nothing to do with them. But then here comes Jesus and we're drawing near to him because there's no one like him. Uh, the extent of his love and grace. Uh, they want to hear him. They want to see him. Uh, they want to be around him. But the Pharisees, these religious leaders, are ticked off because Jesus is not hanging with 
well, he's hanging with them, but he's also hanging with people they don't want to hang with. If you really loved God, if you're really of God, you wouldn't hang with these unsavory type of people, right? And so we looked at a couple other passages uh, where Luke is setting this up, right? And so there's passages about uh, chapter 5, verse 30. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, I've, healthy people don't need doctors. Unhealthy people do. And so I've called, uh, I've come to uh, pursue sinners. Uh, in Luke 7, uh, he gets accused, the accusation is you're a friend to tax collectors and sinners. You're welcome, you're not just welcoming them and caring for them, but you're a friend of them, almost like you're uh, placing acceptance on their lifestyle, their behavior, their sin. Jesus is getting accused of this. Uh, and then the, uh, the sinful woman, we don't know her background, but she comes and touches, invites herself to the dinner party, touches Jesus' feet. And uh, the Pharisees are like, if, if Jesus would have only known who this guy was, he wouldn't have let her touch him. If this guy was really of God, a prophet, he would know, don't, don't associate with these type of people, let alone let her touch him. Uh, the, what kind of woman that she is, she's a sinner. And then we'll see later, uh, Jesus himself says, I'm co- I've come to seek and save the lost. All right. So again, just like last week, we covered the first two parables. Really, we have three parables here, but Jesus says, uh, or Luke says, Jesus told them a parable. And so we have one flow of thought, but Jesus is building from the lesser to the greater. So if you remember last week, we looked, first, a shepherd has a hundred sheep. One uh, one is lost, and so the shepherd leaves the 99 to ruthlessly pursue the one that's lost until that sheep is found. And the sheep is found, he carries it back, and they celebrate. They have a party. There's great joy, right? Uh, secondly, not just one out of 100, but now one out of 10. There's a woman with 10 coins, and she loses one, and she turns her house upside down to find the one coin because God ruthlessly pursues us like pursuing that lost sheep, like pursuing that lost coin, right? And so we're going from the lesser to the greater, even ratio-wise, you lost one hundredth of your sheep, then you lost one-tenth of your coins, Uh, now you're losing one-half of your two boys. And really, as we look at the text, it's not even one-half. Both boys are lost, and we're going to see that. The older son and the younger son are both lost, they're both spiritually dead. And so we have a lot to learn about both kids in this parable. But Jesus sets it up like that. And we, we want to look for these ideas or themes or words. Lost, found, uh, God's reaction when the lost are found. The joy, the rejoicing, the celebration, the partying. And then the repenting. The, the evidence of people who are found. They turn, right? Minds and hearts turning to God. And so they're going in a different direction. And so with all that to say, let's read... Uh, the text again. So let me start again, verse one, and then we'll go down to verse 11. So the now, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger, uh, younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son t- uh, got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, 
and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him uh, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants uh, have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. Verse 21, the son said to the father, father, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice he didn't even finish his planned rehearsed speech to his dad. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came near the house uh, and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And the parable ends with the older brother where? Still outside the party. Right? Okay, so a couple, two kind of, two big ideas that I see uh, in this text. Again, I would probably say a better title, uh, a better summary of this is a dad and his two boys, or a loving father and his two sons, rather than, Parable, parable of the prodigal son, because there's three, there's three uh, characters involved, and the characters are associating uh, two different groups of people. Uh, we're going to see that, and I think we have a lot to learn uh, from all three. So, in this parable, Jesus is exposing uh, the breadth of our sin, of our depravity, of our lostness, of us being spiritually dead. And yet, while doing that, Jesus is illustrating the magnitude, the depth, the riches, how deep the Father's love for us and how vast his forgiveness, uh, the magnitude of God's love from which his forgiveness flows. And so we're going to first look at the extent of our sin and then God's response to that. I think there's no better parable to really summarize uh, the breadth of God's love and the gospel of Jesus, how beautiful he is and how he pursues us, how he saves us, how he reconciles us to himself, how he embraces us when we recognize and turn to him. So first idea is we have a lot, we all have a lot we need to be forgiven. 
And then the second idea, which is the biggest idea, and we'll spend less time on it, but God happily forgives all our offenses, all our sin, all our shame, all our guilt. So first, we have a lot to be, need to be forgiven. And so first, I want to look at, at the younger son before looking at the older son. And so a couple ideas here. Some of us have offended God by running away, by leaving him, by growing up in the church and knowing the answers and then just wanting nothing to do with it. Whether it's church or religion or other Christians that make us turn away uh, or something happens in our life where God disappoints us. God doesn't show up, and so we leave, we walk away, and yet some of us have, have offended God by that, by that way, by being the younger son, the prodigal. Prodigal means wasteful, right? So it's an inter- interesting word, not a word we use a lot today. So a couple little ideas that I see uh, how we can resonate with the younger son, and then we'll kind of make observations as we go through here. But, uh, well, first he believes the relationship with the father was unnecessary. So if you go back to the text, uh, verse 11, there's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So essentially, what's, what's happening here is when a father dies, his property would be divvied up to his boys. The oldest son would get a double portion. Old Testament law kind of protecting in terms of favoritism and all sorts of things if the father favors a younger son. And so the, the older son would get a double portion. But the dad's still alive. And so this younger son goes to his father and says, hey, in essence, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now. And so whether that's a third of everything his father has because the older brother would get double, uh, we don't exactly know. But, but the father responds by this. So he divided his property between them. And so he says, okay. The father has no interest, or the son has no interest in a relationship with his dad. He wants his dad's stuff, right? He wants the toys. He wants what his dad can give him. He doesn't want a relationship with his dad in and of itself. He wants a relationship with the perks of being your son. Just give me, just throw in the blessings and forget you, dad. I wish you weren't around and so I can enjoy these blessings now. Do you see that? Right. And so even in an honor shame culture, the offense of a son going to his dad and essentially saying, dad, I wish you were dead already so that I could have my inheritance now. That's what he said. He feels superior to the religious people. He, he looks at his older, older brother and his older brother's faithfulness to his dad and says, I want nothing to do with that. In fact, I'm going to go my own ways. I'm going to make my own decisions. I'm going to uh, pursue pleasures that I think are out there, right? Rather than a relationship with dad, the greatest treasure, I'm going to go look at uh, everything else that I can use and enjoy and value and worship and so many words. And so in a, in a way he feels superior. Like I'm going to call my own shots. I want to do, I want to go my own way. I want to do my own thing. And, and, and I'm, I don't want anything to do with you, dad or you family. I know better. Okay. Um, and yet he misses the depth of his own shame and sin and guilt, his own culpability in, uh, in the matter. So verse 13, not long after his dad divided the property between the younger and the older son, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered, wasted his wealth and wild living. We don't know exactly what he spent his money on. His older brother has a perspective, right, well, that we see later in the text. But we don't know. 
text doesn't tell us. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And so he leaves his own country and people, and he goes to a distant country, most likely a Gentile country, right? A Gentile people because Jews would not be caring for pigs, right? Pigs were defiling for Jews, right? It would make you ceremoniously unclean. You couldn't eat bacon or Kahlua pork or all the good stuff that come in pigs, right? Right? But yet this, the, older, the younger son has squandered everything that he's had, all his possessions, money, whatever, um, and there's a famine, and so he's starting to realize, hey, I'm out to dry here. I need some help. And so he goes and gets himself a bit of a job uh, taking care of an unclean animal in terms of his Jewishness. This would be defiling too. And so verse 16, he longed to fill this, his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he gets this job, but the, but the, the master here cares more for the pigs than his servants, right? So the younger brother is just longing to even eat the pig's food. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Look at how my dad takes care of even his hired hands. And I'm here starving to death. And so he starts to picture the depth of his father's love and grace, even while he's still far off. Look at how my dad cared for even the hired servants that he had taking care of the field or the animals. So verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So at least just give me a job. Let me, I know you take care of those hired servants. Let me be one of those. I'm not worthy to be, be called your son anymore. I've, I've shamed you so much that I can't call you dad. You can't call me son anymore. I've gone off too far. I've wandered away too much. I've offended you too greatly is his perspective. Right? So he's, he's missing the depth of his father's love and grace and forgiveness. He's missing the depth of his own uh, sin, shame, guilt. And he starts to realize this as he, as he kind of plans out for himself his plan to go back home and what exactly he's going to say to his father. Right? I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me be just one of your hired servants. So at least I'll be fed and I could survive that way. So, verse 20. So he, got, he gets up and goes to his father. He takes action. He goes um, and pursues. He, he sees the depth of his mistake, his sin, his error. And he uh, turns directions in a way. He repents uh, before, even going, before even getting back to the father. But while he was still a long way off, verse 20, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. So Bob pointed out this last Wednesday as we were looking at the text together. The father saw him because the father was looking for him. The father was watching for him. The father didn't give up on his younger son. In fact, the father was waiting. He didn't go run off looking for that lost sheep or that lost coin, but he patiently waited for the son to come back, for the son to realize the error of his ways, his own culpability, his own sin and shame and guilt, and return home. 
And so while he was a long way off, his father Solomon was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, pursuing his son. Uh, a bit of shame in that too, like a normal son, a normal father would not go running and pursue. He would just wait. You come to me. But the father goes and runs to his son and embraces him and kisses him. Verse 21, the son said to his father, father, uh, Son said to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, put the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Pause for a moment. If the father already divvied up the inheritance between the younger son and the older son, whose robe is this? Whose ring is this? Whose fattened calf is this? You could say it's the older, like the father is taking some from the older, son, older brother and saying, hey, it doesn't matter right now. I just find that a little interesting because you, you could make that, that leap here. But bring a fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Right. Lost, found the joy when someone lost is found the turning, the change, the repentance when a lost person realizes the depth of their own sin and shame and guilt. Does that make sense? Obviously, lots we can learn from the younger brother. And that's been how this parable has been taught and emphasized for a long time. Right? In my life, and I think yours as well. But I think we have uh, some to learn from the older brother as well. So we haven't just offended God by running away by forsaking him, by wandering. But some of us have offended God by attempting to earn his approval, like the older son. And so let me go through these and we'll read kind of the verses 25 to 32 here. But the older son believes the relationship with the father must and has been earned. And so when Jesus gives this parable, in the context there, who is around him? The tax collectors and sinners, one group of people. And then we have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, right? Another group of people. And so Jesus shares this parable where the younger son represents the sinners and the tax collectors. They were far off, but they can be found. They can turn. They can see the joy in a relationship with the father because Jesus is right in front of them. And yet the Pharisees and the tax collectors are represented by, or the Pharisees and the uh, teachers, Religious leaders, the teacher of the law, are represented by the older brother. They've done all the rules. They've, they've memorized and followed the law. They've performed. They've earned. They've deserved God's favor because they've always been there. They've never left. They've never wandered off. Right? They were faithful to Yahweh through thick and thin. That's what they think. And they think their relationship with their dad is based on earning. We must and have earned this and deserved a relationship with you. Uh, And they obviously feel superior to the less or the non-religious people. The people who don't know the rules, who haven't followed the law, who haven't had a relationship with God. And yet, you know, those tax collectors and sinners who are on the fringes of, of society. So verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He came near the house. He heard music and dancing So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, 
The older brother became angry and refused to go in. That sounds like the emotion we're seeing from the Pharisees and religious leaders through the book of Luke, right? Angry and bitter. This man welcomes sinners and tax collectors and eats with them, right? A friend of sinners and tax collectors. And so the older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out. So the father not only went to pursue the younger son, but now the father goes out to pursue the older son, right? Hey, my son is angry and bitter and doesn't get it. I'm going to go pursue him as well, just like I pursued the younger son. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've been earning. I've been working. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave a young goat. Forget the fattened calf. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with who? My friends. Not even you, Dad. I want to go celebrate with my, with my homies. Homies a word still. I should have just dated myself from the 90s. I'm getting old, Dave. I'm getting old. It's, it gets worse. <laughs> Right? So you never even gave me a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends, people that matter to me. Right? My other Pharisees and religious leaders. Dad, I don't even have a relationship with you, he's saying. So not just the younger brother forsaking the relationship with the dad, wanting the possessions instead of a relationship with the dad. But now you have an older brother who is just so set in his ways. In a similar but different way, he doesn't have a relationship with his dad either. He's lost, isn't he? Just like the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they're lost. They've been working and earning, and they think they're in the party, but they're not in the party. They've missed the party. They're they're not under his loving wings of protection. They haven't made it through the narrow door. Terms that Jesus has been warning us through this middle section of Luke, really culminating in this parable. Don't miss it, Pharisees. I'm talking to you. You're the older brother, and you're lost. And you're looking at the tax collectors and sinners, the younger brother, and obviously you're looking down on them. They're less religious than you. They're obviously lost and need to be found. But you yourselves are lost and need to be found too, Jesus is saying. And so they're missing the depth of their own sin and shame and guilt, their own culpability in the matter, right? He says, I've always, I've never left you. I've, um, I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never rewarded me. You've never given me anything, let alone a young goat so I can celebrate with my friends. Verse 30, but when the son, of your, the son of yours, not even my brother, look at his bitterness, but the son of yours, right? When those of you that have kids, right, and some, you know, Holden does something stupid and you say to Jen, hey, Jen, your son needs to talk to you, right? Look at the, look at the blame, the pointing, right? We already have a set of brothers going on right here. This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, we don't know that, but the older brother is making accusations on how he might have spent that money. Maybe it's true. Uh, You killed the fattened calf for him. So verse 31, my son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because the brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Open up your eyes to the reality Not only was he dead and lost and is now found and alive, but you, older brother, you're on the outside of the party looking in. And the parable ends right there. Just like that, he's still on the outside. So he's still missing the depth of his own culpability. He's still missing the depth of his father's grace and love and forgiveness, right? 
And I think there's a thing, another thing, he has no interest in this party. He has no interest in being part of the party and having a relationship with his father, a real relationship with his father, instead of earning and deserving. But he also has no interest in inviting others to his party, right? At the end of, or the middle of chapter 14, Jesus gives this parable of the great banquet. And people are invited to the banquet, and yet they have all these excuses, and they don't come to the banquet. And Jesus' point is that the banquet is open for everybody, and a lot of people are missing the banquet, the party. And missing the party has terrible consequences. So make sure you're in the party. Make sure you accept that invitation to the party, the banquet. And so Luke is a masterful storyteller. He's conveying that same image of a party, a banquet, a feast, a celebration. And now we have an older brother who's on the outside. He's lost doesn't realize the depth of his own sin and shame and guilt. He thinks he has done all the right things. He's performed. He has earned. Right? He knows all the right answers. He's a pastor in their day. Like, of course. Right? And, and Jesus is saying, hey, you're just as lost as your brother. Maybe even worse. Because you don't get it. You don't get who I am. You're still working your way into my favor. And that's not how... Well, that's not how this works. That's not why I have come, Jesus is saying to them. I've come so that I can save you, not you saving yourself. So the biggest idea, well, some of us have a little both. Some of us have offended God in both of these ways. But the bigger idea is this. God happily forgives all our offenses. When you want to leave, the father lets you leave, right? He doesn't keep his younger son from leaving. He doesn't keep his inheritance from his younger son. He splits his inheritance and says, hey, have at it, right? Jesus isn't begging people to follow him. He isn't coercing. He isn't twisting their arms. If you have better options, go pursue your better options. But you're going to come back because I'm the greatest treasure. All those other joys and treasures in this world are going to leave you wanting, And yet the joy found in a relationship with him, the treasure that is Christ alone, there's nothing like him. There's nobody and nothing in this world that could produce that kind of joy and hope and satisfaction. But the father lets go, lets those go who want to leave, whether they know they've left or not, like the older brother. They've left as well. They just don't realize they've left. They don't realize they're outside of the party, not in the party, not wanting to be in the party, not inviting others to this party and the celebration. The Father happily welcomes back all who come to him. Whatever guilt and shame, whatever thing you've done, the thing that, Andrew, if you only knew this about me, you would think differently of me. God doesn't care, and he knows. And no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter who we've hurt, no matter how we've forsaken God or forsaken brothers and sisters in Christ, God happily welcomes back all who embrace him. All who come to him, all who turn, mind and heart, turn, repent, realizing the depth of our own sin, but also in a much larger scale, the depth, the breadth of God's love and forgiveness of his grace. So a couple takeaways, just some questions for you. Maybe this resonates with you in a different way. Maybe I brought out some ideas that you haven't thought about, don't know what you're wrestling with, but are there ways that you're still feeling like a prodigal? Sins in your life that you're having trouble believing that God actually will forgive. Sins that I'm hiding, the guilt that I'm carrying, the shame that I can't let go of, that I think God looks down on me 
because of who I am, what I'm doing, what I've said, who I've hurt, right? Stuff that you're still hanging on to, younger brother type stuff where we realize the depth of our sin, but even greater, the magnitude of God's love and forgiveness no matter what. So are there signs of the older brother in the same way the younger brother? Is there older brother tendencies, older brother worldviews in each and every one of us where we, we might have an arrogance or a condensation, uh, condensation uh, towards others, feeling of superiority um, over anything or anybody, right? And God says, hey, no, level the playing field. All are welcome. We're all sinners in need of help. We're all hopeless without that help. And yet, God's love will overwhelm us. So ask God to help us understand and experience. So mind and heart and action more fully the depth and breadth of his grace and forgiveness. If this is hard to wrap your head around, if this is hard to really trust, right? I'm holding on to those younger brother or older brother tendencies. If I am, ask God to show me. Help me experience your love more. Let me experience your grace and forgiveness more, your unconditional love, right? You don't play, he didn't play favorites with the younger and older brother. He doesn't play favorites with us. He welcomes any of us who come back to him. And God loves us. He loves us. He loves us. No matter what we've done, no matter um, how bad it's been, he welcomes us back because he loves us. He pursues us, not just one sheep out of 100, not just one coin out of 10, but a younger and older Son, um, sons that have wandered in different ways, and yet God pursues them and welcomes them back because He loves us that much. He'll always welcome us back, no matter how bad, how low, how dark it's been. He always welcomes us back with loving arms. And what is His response? He throws a party, a banquet, a celebration when someone who's lost is now found. Someone who's dead is made alive. God, thanks for your love. Thanks for your grace. What you've done for us in Christ. The ultimate expression of your love that we celebrated last week in communion. um, Turning your face to Jerusalem because that is where you had to go and what you had to do. To hang on a cross, to carry our guilt and sin and shame. The ultimate expression of your reckless love is you're sending your son to take our place, to pay our, uh, what we deserved, to do what we couldn't do for ourselves, to save us, to embrace us, to welcome us back as your children. Thanks for your love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.